Hello, everyone. This is Leighton Gray, creator and host of the Gray Matter podcast. Well, as you may know, there's a very important process going on right now in Canada called the National Citizens Inquiry. One of the first guests on our program was Pastor James Coates, who is the, the faith leader of Grace Life Church uh, just outside of Edmonton, Alberta. Pastor Coates is a very important figure in the COVID pandemic experience uh, that, as it's understood by Albertans. Without him, I dare say that the original lockdown restrictions never would have been lifted. And he is scheduled to be one of the witnesses who is going to testify in the National Citizens Inquiry. Pastor Coates is the author of two books. Uh, one of which is called God versus Government, and another one called Preaching and Hearing God's Word. We decided to reissue this uh, this old episode of Grey Matter, which was recorded about a year ago. In this episode, um, I sat down with pastor and teacher James Coates to have a conversation about the link between God and government, how to handle tough situations, and his historical 35-day experience behind bars. Pastor Coates has had very polarizing beliefs when it comes to the handling by the government of the COVID-19 pandemic. When he was faced with the decision to abide by the mandates enforced by the Alberta government or to maintain business as usual, he chose the latter. He chose his Christian beliefs, and he faced the consequences of that choice to the tune of 35 days in the remand center. Once locked up and behind bars, Pastor Coates faced another incredible dilemma. An offer was presented to him to make a public apology and fall in line or else. His conviction to his beliefs led him to serve out the sentence until his legal representative, yours truly, could sort out the finer details. This gave him an incredible opportunity that he jumped at without hesitation. I think that you will really enjoy listening to Pastor James Coates, who, as I say, will be a very important witness at the National Citizens Inquiry coming up in Red Deer, Alberta. If you can get there and witness this historic event, please do so. If you cannot, remember that you can also follow it and watch all the testimony online. I will be there, and I hope that you will be too. Thank you. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Pastor Coates, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. All right. It's our pleasure. We've got a a couple of clips from your servants, uh, Pastor James. And uh, this is the one, Devin, about this is uh, video number two, Paul in Jerusalem. If you could play that one, please. Paul was in Jerusalem. And after preaching the gospel to the Jews in Hebrew, a ruckus ensued and they wanted him dead. And when that happened, a Roman commander ordered that Paul be scourged. And he wanted him to be scourged to find out what it was that had made the the Jews react the way that they did. And as Paul was being stretched out with thongs, he said to the centurion, quote, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned, unquote? 
At which time the, the centurion went to the commander and said, what are you about to do for this man is a Roman? And when the, command, when the commander had confirmed it, Paul was immediately released and the commander was afraid. He had violated Roman law. He's not above the law. He's subject to the law and subject to the rule of law. So even the Apostle Paul, the one who has written this portion of Scripture, has held the governing authorities accountable for, to their lawlessness. All right, so from there, you can probably guess where I'm going. I want to take you back. I think it was just, we just went through the first year anniversary of, uh, of your arrest and then your subsequent uh, release uh, from jail. So um, we've heard a couple of your clips, and I expect that you talk about this in your, in your book. Uh, by the way, um, for people who are watching, listening to this, Pastor James, where can they find your book? Is it available, for example, on Amazon? Amazon, um, Barnes Noble, Indigo, basically anywhere you can buy a book, it should be there. Great. So I want to take you back, and I'd like you to describe, um, because obviously from the clip that we just saw, uh, you have a great respect for law. Uh, you talk about the rule of law and the idea that no one is above the law. Uh, but you also clearly are of the view which I happen to think is correct, that it's God, the God is at the head of our state and it's God law governs is above the state. And I would suggest to you, and I'd like you to comment on this, see whether you agree, that, that a big part of what we're experiencing today in Canadian society, Canadian law, is an inversion of that. So that uh, God's law is not being respected and that the, the, the state now is, is become uh, higher uh, and is, has become exalted. And that uh, really this was a big part of the reason and this was really is, was vivified by the dilemma that I spoke of earlier that you faced. So uh, I'd like you to, to cast your mind back about a year, year and a half now, beginning with the first time that when Alberta Health Services started investigating Grace Life Church and how you and uh, your congregation and the leadership of your church uh, began to deal with that. And then perhaps if you could take us into, you know, your arrest and what you went through with your family and, and how you dealt with this awful dilemma that I described in the opening to, to the podcast. Well, we complied with the governing authorities for the first few months of the pandemic as we allowed information to come in with respect to the severity of COVID-19 and, and, and really worked out some of those convictions that, need to be worked out as it relates to Romans 13 and, and Hebrews 10, 25, which, which teaches that we're not to neglect or forsake the gathering of the saints. And so it was toward the end of the first declared public health emergency that we began to preach directly to these issues, both Romans 13, Hebrews 10, 25. And by the time the, the emergency lifted, we were ready as a church to continue to meet uh, without without the without regard for any of the restrictions that still remained in place, although the teeth had been kind of removed because the emergency was over. So we, we were meeting, gathering as a church, um, not placing any restrictions on our gatherings, letting our people make their own decision as it relates to masks and social distancing and everything else. And we were open all the way until the next 
um, declared public health emergency, which was the end of November 2020. At that time, we began to get some complaints that were rolling in and AHS began to contact us in terms of, you know, what we were doing and, and what was happening. And, and even we began to get visits from a particular young lady who was coming to our services and observing the, the, the gatherings and capacity and everything else. At that time, though, we were resolved that, that look, Jesus is the head of the church. The governing authorities are capitalizing on this virus to, to increase their control over society. We just can't comply with that. We can't, we can't, um, we can't join them in that dance. We've got a responsibility to be faithful to Christ. And so we, we were resolved to keep our church open and to, to graciously, but with courage and conviction, carry on. And, and as that developed over time, <clears throat> we had AHS, <clears throat> excuse me, and the RCMP coming to our services. So they were actually in our services to observe. Uh, that's a little bit, you know, disconcerting to come into your parking lot and see that there are RCMP vehicles present and know that they're not there to worship. And so we, we had to deal with that in the context of our gathering. They would observe what was taking place and then they would leave after we had begun singing, they had the evidence they needed that we were non-compliant. And, and so they, from there, began to use every tool they possibly could. They used the media and ultimately shaming us in the context of the court of public opinion. They used uh, a court order where they were ordering us to comply with their health orders. And, and we ultimately blew through that as well, at which point we could have been held in contempt of court, which is up to two years in prison. Um, and then ultimately that escalated to my first arrest. There were two of them. The first one took place on February 7th. It, it happened in my office and I was read my rights, arrested, um, given an undertaking. In the undertaking, I was being compelled to comply with the Public Health Act. I knew I couldn't do that. And so I, I indicated that I couldn't sign. I couldn't, I couldn't agree to the terms of the undertaking, the officer's wrote, refused to sign on the document, but said it was still binding and that they would be back next week. Well, came back the following week, the 14th of February, had a service. And then following that service, I was notified they wanted me to turn myself in. Um, I did turn myself in on Tuesday, the 16th, was brought before a JP. I was given a, a condition of release that required, again, that I comply with the Public Health Act. I couldn't do that because doing that would mean not fulfilling my calling. It would be me imposing upon God's people restrictions that he doesn't. And I couldn't be the, the avenue through which that would take place. And so I indicated that I couldn't sign the condition. And that meant uh, being retained in custody and then ultimately taken to a maximum security prison um, at Edmonton Remand Center, where I was, as you noted, for 35 days. As we, um, as we saw it through the courts to amend the actual uh, condition itself to no avail until the Crown, I guess, had enough pressure being placed upon it to do so and give me uh, terms of release that I could actually, in good conscience, uh, agree to. As part of that, uh, it appears you finally found the right lawyer. <laughs> you were instrumental, there's no question. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I, what I did was nothing compared to what what you did. Uh, I want to come back to this um, 
this metaphor of Daniel in the lion's den. I know the one about Apostle Paul is very apropos, but uh, what you went through made me think of Daniel because, uh, of course, the lion is the symbolic uh, metaphor that is often used to uh, to represent the state. And so when I think of Daniel, I think of him going into the lion's den armed only with his faith. And it's his faith that not only protects him, but brings fear to the lion. And uh, I think what you did and the way that you handled this through faith, uh, you had the same effect. And I think that um, I know that uh, you're very self-effacing and a very humble man, but uh, you know, people like you and Pastor Stevens, I, I've, I don't think there's any question, any right-thinking person uh, acquainted with the proper facts would, under, would know and understand that uh, people like you were instrumental uh, in bringing about the types of changes that we're seeing now. Uh, that is uh, bringing the lion, uh, let's say, to, to its knees, which is what we're seeing right now in Alberta as respecting uh, COVID. Uh, what I'd like to hear from you, though, uh, I'd like to hear from you about um, what you went through uh, during that time when uh, you were imprisoned. And, and also, uh, I'd like you, if you can, to tie that into what you've written about in your book, because I know part of, what, uh, of what's in your book is um, how, uh, how people can, can properly and most effectively exercise civil disobedience in a way that um, that that shows respect for for the law, and uh, and so I'd like to hear from you on those two points if you can, and perhaps try and tie them together because I know for you they are they are inextricably connected. Well, I think for for Daniel, it's worth pointing out that it wasn't so much his faith that delivered him. I mean, in going into that lion's den, Daniel could have easily had had been eaten alive and but he would have set that aside he would have said you know what my responsibility is to obey god i don't know how this is going to turn out but but i know i need to be faithful and he can deliver me he has that power i trust him to do that if it's if it, if it be his will and if not then then i'm willing to you know be eaten alive if it means being faithful to god and so i think that's important even as i went through what i did I had no guarantee on how anything was going to turn out. All I knew is what I needed to do. All I knew is that I needed to obey God and let him deal with the consequences. It could have resulted in immense loss this side of heaven. And if it did, so be it, because I would have the blessing of knowing that I did the right thing in God's sight. And so I think that's really important to highlight in God's goodness he often does deliver. And as you obey him and are faithful, he often does deliver you from difficult circumstances. And what what, what Satan intends for evil, God intends for good. And, and I've seen that in my own life. It doesn't always work out that way because throughout history, many Christians have died, been burned alive. And their faithfulness has ultimately taken them all the way to their death, which is to their gain. Because as Paul says, to live as Christ and die as gain, it's, it's better to die and be with Christ than to remain on in this earthly tent. So just worth pointing that out as far as God being the deliverer. Um, Daniel was obedient. He was a man of faith. There's no question. But he was ultimately delivered 
on account of God's faithfulness and, and, and sovereignty over that lion. He subdued the lion and he did that to glorify himself and to ultimately rebuke the, the king and all the officials that, that resulted, the decision that resulted in putting Daniel in that position. Well, I did promise everyone you were going to run rings around me on the subtopic of religion. Uh, so thank you for illuminating that. Um, what, what was it like for you just day to day uh, being separated from your, your wife and, and your children and uh, just feeling the, the intense injustice of it and, and always being faced with the, the constant uh, choice? You, every day, every moment of every day, uh, you had the choice to sign that paper and leave. Um, that must have been excruciating for you. Um, could you, could, could you, I mean, are you able to put that into words, uh, what you were going through during that time? You know, I don't know that I would say it was excruciating. There were some moments toward the end where I was so close to being delivered, so close to being let out, that my antsiness to be released was certainly increasing. And, and so I do recall that. But it, there wasn't really a strong temptation to sign because to sign would have been compromise. I mean, to, to sign that condition and leave that facility would have just undone everything that had happened at that point in time. And obedience needs to go all the way to the finish line. I mean, faithfulness is never done. And that's why even now, when I look at my life, I mean, I'm still in the middle of the race. I'm not at the finish line. I, I, I'm not where Paul was when he had said, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. And so I've got to go all the way to the end. And there are going to be a number of hurdles between now and, and, and then that I need to ensure that I, that I overcome through faith and obedience in Christ. But um, I, it wasn't that difficult not to sign. I, I could not sign that condition. And, and, and the conviction to not do that had been there and established for months. So it wasn't like I had to overnight create this thing. I mean, this, was, this had plenty of time to be built and established. And even from, even aside from the context itself, the immediate context of COVID-19, you know, our lives as Christians are meant to be framed that way, shaped that way, obedience to Christ. And, and so there's preparation, you know, in all the years leading up to this difficult season. So, so again, I don't think it was that difficult not to sign. Although I do recall being a little bit antsy as things were so close and there were some details down the stretch where, you know, I was almost let out earlier if we could have gotten an earlier court date, but then we couldn't. So I had to stay in the weekend and all of that. But the Lord allowed me to to, to overcome all that and, and just wait patiently until it was time. I, I do remember talking to you uh, around that time. And I was I was really amazed at how serene you were and, and also how resolute you were, that you absolutely would not agree to that condition. And ultimately, you didn't. Um, uh, what was it like uh, for you seeing your church, uh, which really is the is the home of, of your of your faith life and also your vocational life, being triple barricaded and used as an RCMP barracks? It was surreal. It was something out of China. Um, the imagery of that is, I think, a stain on our province and country. I think that it was intended to, to have shock value. But again, I think 
in the end, it was a miscalculation. I think our government has shown a lot of miscalculation politically. And that even has been expressed more recently with Justin Trudeau and what he did with the Tucker Convoy and the Emergencies Act. So I think what we're seeing is our governing authorities want to want to shape the way that we see our society, our country and nation. And, and that, that whole barricading of our facility is a part of that. The, uh, again, the imagery that comes from that, the videos that come from that are disgraceful, really an embarrassment, I would say to our province and country. And, uh, you know, as it relates to how I felt about it more personally, I mean, it was just another step in the saga. The governing authorities were trying to shut us down. And from my vantage point, they were trying to go toe to toe with Christ. And he's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As I looked at what was happening in terms of our church and everything else, uh, it was just the next step in the saga. And what it did was it opened up our church as being this sort of um, underground church going from location to location, Sunday to Sunday. And that was a blast. I mean, you know, to, to worship the Lord under the blue sky, the sun shining. It was a wonderful time that we enjoyed together as a church. And so, um, so it was, uh, again, another example of what, what, what the enemy, uh, intends for evil. God intends for good. Well, I, I know that you don't, do not regard yourself as a, as a politician or any type of political crusader. But uh, I know that you believe very fervently, uh, very devoutly in the evangelical purpose of your church and of your ministry. And I suspect that was the impetus for writing of the new book. Uh, I'd like to play a clip that ties into what you were just saying about, um, this is from one of your sermons about psychological warfare. If you could play that, please, Devin. Governments seeking total authority would rather not use force, at least not initially. The use of force would expose their agenda. Instead, they'll use infiltration, indoctrination, and demonization. They'll flood every human institution with their ideological allies, every level of government office, the judicial system, law enforcement, the health system, the school system. They'll buy the media, obliterating the free press and effectively making media state run. They'll work in cahoots with big tech in an effort to control the information their constituents have access to. And then they'll use division, segregation, and vilification to divide and conquer. And will both demonize and penalize any and all who dare to dissent. And we're there. So that, uh, from there, I'd like to take uh, you, uh, Pastor James, into let's call it a 5,000 foot view. Um, and I'd like to get your thoughts about some of the broader streams of things that are happening in in the world, especially in the West and Canadian society. Um, that clip from one of your sermons reminded me of something I read uh, many years ago about uh, Aldous Huxley and uh, and uh, uh, his relationship with uh, George Orwell. 
you might know this, but uh, Albus Huxley wrote uh, a book in the 1930s uh, called Brave New World, uh, which sort of predicted a, a future dystopian universe. His student, uh, many years later, in the late 1940s, I believe 1948, George Orwell wrote uh, a, a dystopian novel, but that had a different uh, type of focus. And of course, that is 1984. There's a lot of public debate about what we're seeing, about whether what we're seeing in Canada is closer to Huxley's vision or, or Orwell's. Um, but uh, I remember reading that... Um, Orwell had sent a manuscript of his book uh, to his former teacher and asked him for his thoughts. And Huxley wrote back, he said, well, uh, you've written a great book. Um, but um, he disagreed with Orwell about the way that this dystopian world would be achieved. And uh, Huxley was more of your view that, um, that what it would be done through psychological warfare and through ideas, that compliance would be achieved that way rather than the way, for example, uh, the Nazis did during World War II. So from there, I'd like to take you, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. I think get into, into a discussion of the integral importance of the Christian church to the survival and flourishing of Western culture and how the church can provide a theological framework for discerning when and how to best practice civil disobedience. Uh, can you comment on that? Well, I think it's it's fundamental to the church's identity to function as salt and light in the world. And, and that requires that the church be the church. A failure for the church to be everything she's called to be is a failure to be the salt and light she's called to be. And, and salt is a preservative. So the church is to have a preserving influence on society. And it's supposed to be a light, a light of righteousness, a light of the revelation of God, the, the gospel of Christ. And so if the church retreats and goes along with society and looks effectively no different than society, then you have removed the the, the God-ordained preservative that that is to, to keep society on track. And, and I think that's what you've seen in some respects here in our country is that even through COVID-19, given the, the limited number of churches that took the same stand that we did, we, we saw COVID-19 and the totalitarian approach to the pandemic increase. And I think if churches had stood together across the board and said, no, we're not going to comply with your health orders, that would have brought about the end of restrictions much, much sooner than, than, than took place. And so I think the church has a critical role to play in society. I think the church has largely surrendered much of that already. But that's the problem with the church today is that it's it's becoming worldlier and worldlier. And, and that means it's becoming less powerful and more powerless all the time. So, you know, I think when you look at the churches that are healthy, the churches that, that did stand tall in this time, you're going to find churches that, are committed to preaching the word of God, committed to heralding the gospel of Christ and, and desire to see God glorified in all things. The churches that in most cases didn't take that stand are going to be churches that set all of that aside a long time ago. Uh, Nietzsche famously wrote uh, that uh, God is dead and that 
there could never be enough water to wash all of the blood away. I know that you don't believe that, neither do I. Um, and it's interesting to note, for example, that uh, Christianity is flourishing in places like China. But, but Christianity is under constant attack in the West. And we see this uh, especially so in, in, in places like Canada, the United States, and Australia, and uh, Great Britain. Um, I expect you'll agree with me that Christianity is under attack. Your story is a shining example of that. Who is doing it? Who, who is attacking who's attacking Christianity and why you know from a as you kind of work through the the inspiration of that ultimately coming from Satan but working through human agency I think what you're seeing in the West is that there's an effort to fundamentally alter society as we know it and to move it away from uh, patriotism what they would call nationalism, what they've ultimately called white supremacy, which is hilarious. I mean, white supremacy has been entirely redefined. Basically, if, if, if you want Canada to be the Canada you've always known, well, you're a white supremacist, which is just like, that's, that's not the way we've traditionally understood, you know, white supremacy at all. Um, and it's, it's clear in the trucker convoy that it's not white supremacy because that was a very multicultural movement. And so I think what you're seeing is that the elites in society, the, the lobbyists, the one who ultimately pull the strings of government, because ultimately I think we're learning that our government are a bunch of pawns, that, that it's those individuals who are, are trying to shift everything toward a very globalistic government. And to do that, you have to diminish national pride and, 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 and also shift away from everything that made the Western world thrive for the last, you know, number of, of decades and, and, uh, and centuries. So I think, um, I think, you know, it'd be difficult to name the individuals themselves, but you've got, you know, Satan as the ultimate author of it all. And then you've got human agency that is seeking to bring all of the sin individuals who are elitist and have a lot of money, think they know what's best for, uh, mankind. And, uh, and ultimately though, we have to realize that God is sovereign over all of that. So even as all of that is happening, even as the Western world begins to unravel, God is the one that is ultimately working everything toward his end and purpose. And that will climax in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, uh, that's, that's, that's a lot to, to unpack, but I think if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is that uh, Christianity is central. It's at the core of Western civilization, and uh, and the 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 Christian ethic, if we can call it, that the Christian theology that was interwoven into all of our institutions uh, not so long ago, and not just the church, but into the family, the educational system, government, law, the justice system. Uh, all of that is really is being there's a there's a movement afoot to expunge all of that um, in the name of uh, secularism. Let's call it die diversity, inclusion, equity, or some other cult by some other name. Call it what you like, but the purpose is to remove is to remove this this Christian ethic, which has been essential to our society and essential to peace. Um, and and do would you agree with me that that's Part of the reason why we're seeing a rise in international military conflict. 
I definitely think you're onto something when you say that, um, you know, dismantling Christianity is critical to dismantling the Western world because it's it's ultimately Christianity that has framed the Western world. We look at the U.S., Canada, the documents that establish our constitutions. They're clearly rooted in God and his supremacy. And so you have to ultimately do away with all of that to get to the place where you can unravel the, fra- the fabric of society to, to do away with all the things that have made the Western world so, uh, so wonderful. Um, and then, you know, to the, to the military side of it, you know, anytime a nation rejects God, they are, they are delivered over. Romans 1 talks about that. When you reject God and refuse to give him thanks, you refuse to give him honor, he delivers a nation over to its depravity. And that begins with a sexual revolution. It goes from there into a homosexual revolution. And from there, it goes to depraved mind. And so when you look at what's happening in the world today, as far as the, the, the unrest on a military level, there's no question that, um, that that's what's taking place. If you think of the U.S., for example, the U.S. has been a, a bastion of freedom, has been a, a prominent country and maintaining world peace on a pretty significant level but the u.s is giving all of that away as it just continues to erode from the inside and as a result you have an example now where russia feels empowered to be able to invade ukraine without any real fear of any sort of consequence coming against them from someone like the u.s and and so i think there's certainly a relationship to it all trying to you know, understand the intricacy of it and and how it all comes together. I'm still in the process of working out, but the fact that there is a relationship, I think, is clear. One of the one of the things that uh, you talked about in in these clips is the this concept of psychological warfare and the role that COVID nineteen played in it. Uh, one of the things that occurred to me, one of the the, the chief impacts of COVID nineteen, especially. You see this especially uh, uh, adversely with young people. I have two teenage sons. Um, is the estrangement uh, of people from each other? So, so we're, we through the internet, through social media, uh, through the disruption of normal social social discourse, um, through the the restriction upon family get-togethers. Uh, there's this otherness, this strangeness that now has, is being imposed by the state and encouraged uh, social distancing, really. And I was reminded of um, a Jewish theologian uh, named Martin Buber, who wrote in the 1930s, and he talked about an, the I-it and the I-thou synthesis, which I think really applies. The I, as I understood, I understand it, the I-thou is the relationship that we have with God, which is a personal relationship with God, where, and, and the purpose uh, what Buber said is that uh, the purpose of, of humanity, one of the goals of, of humanity, is to treat other people as ends in themselves. In other words, to express in your relationships with your fellow men, with mankind, the same type of relationship that you would have with God. And that's that's our purpose. Well, on the other hand, I think what we're seeing is this I-it relationship where we're, we're learning, even at a young age in school, children are being taught to treat other people uh, not as subjects, but as objects, as means to an end. Um, and uh, so so uh, would you agree with me? To the, to the, is that partly what you're seeing? Um, I know not so much in your church, but in broader society. 
Well, yeah, there's a dehumanization that's taking place in society. And, you know, you look back at the ideology of evolution. I mean, if human beings are just, you know, um, those who've evolved from bacteria, you know, and our, our native ancestors are, are functionally animals, you know, then you just begin to treat human beings like animals. Well, the fact of the matter is evolutionary theory is, is totally inaccurate that, that man was created from the dust. Man was made in the image of God that were moral beings that were very distinct from um, animals. And we see all of that in Genesis one and two, for example, the creation account. And, and so that's going to shape the way you view human beings and interact with human beings. But as you, as you see in society now, there's a dehumanization of mankind taking place. And that's going to end up impacting everything. Um, it's interesting, too, because you talk about the, the social distancing side of it, because we're, we're, we're talking about this need to distance from one another. But it's for the common good. It's very, it's very interesting. We're, we're, we're staying away from each other. And it's resulting in this dehumanization effect. And, and love is growing cold for one another. And yet we're doing all of that in the justification that it's for the common good of society. And so that's just a very unique, you know, almost paradoxical sort of reality taking place there that, um, you know, is probably worth some some further meditation. But yeah, I, I think you're I think you're accurate in what you're saying. There's everything from the educational system to the to the mainstream media everything to the music that we're seeing to the, the the movies that are coming out everything is geared toward you know accomplishing this satanic agenda that ultimately is going to result in the destruction of uh of of humanity yeah I, alone together which was one of the mantras of the early pandemic just sounds psychotic to me actually uh <laughs> but uh you know, I, I, I'd like to turn, maybe come back to your book a little bit. And um, uh, can you offer us some signs of hope? Are, is there, what, what can we do? The people listen to this. What steps can they do? What decisions can they make? What things over which they have control in their own lives can they do in order to improve the, the, this picture, to, to combat this evil that, that you've, that you've described and that which I expect you talk about in detail in your book. Well, I think first individuals need to look at what's happening in society and realize that all of this testifies to the truth that God is God, that he is who he is as revealed in the scriptures, the Bible. And so at that point in time, recognizing that God is exactly who he says he is in his word and all of society and, and everything taking place on the world scale, validating that each person needs to ensure they're in right relationship to him. And the only way to be in right relationship with God is to embrace his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to Christ in repentant faith to turn from sin and believe on him and be saved. There, there's no, there's no work that needs to be done. This is not, this is not something that can be earned. This is a, a free gift that is offered in Christ and must be laid hold of by faith. And so we need folks to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. 
from there, once they've been reconciled to him, the goal is going to be to be faithful. Wherever you are in your sphere of influence, to be faithful to the commands of Christ, to be obedient. That's going to involve being a part of a local church and, and serving your, 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 your local body, the, the believing community. And it's going to mean being faithful in the workplace, faithful in the, the public square. And, 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 and part of that faithfulness is, is telling others about the need to be reconciled to God through Christ. That this is their fundamental need. It's the greatest need they have. It's their soul. There's nothing more valuable than their soul. They could gain the whole world and forfeit their soul. And they would be utterly and eternally bankrupt. And so we need to have them call people to Christ. And, and so I think fundamentally, this is where we have to realize that this world is going to come to an end and there's a life yet to come and we need to make sure that we're ready for that life and once we are we can be salt and light in this world and and allow god to use that influence to 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 do whatever it is he desires to do and as we are faithful in our spheres of influence it's possible god could use us to 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 steer the ship back in a better and healthier direction so that's what you're talking about when you discuss a responsible civil disobedience uh, that is civil disobedience that is uh, guided by faith in Jesus Christ and and, uh, and and so your all of your actions are informed and guided by that just as your own were informed and guided by that faith uh, when you went through your experience when you were held in custody for 35 days is that the message that's uh, that's imparted in your book yeah, Jesus is Lord, I think, is what it comes down to. And because he is Lord, he needs to be Lord of every aspect of our lives. And as he is, he's going to glorify himself through us. We'll fulfill our purpose in this life. And he'll use that to, to further his glory, to further his kingdom, and, and give us an opportunity to be useful this side of heaven. So we've been talking with uh, Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church of Edmonton. He's written uh, a book that we've heard a lot about today, um, God versus Government, Taking a Stand When Christ and Compliance Collide. It's available on Amazon and really everywhere else that, you'll, that you can buy books. Um, Pastor James, um, we've seen some clips from some of your sermons. Um, if people who are listening and, and watching this uh, want to learn more about your ministry and perhaps access more of your sermons, is there a place where they can go and find them, uh, for example, on the church's website? Yeah, they can go to gracelife.ca and they'll be able to find all of our sermons there. We also have a YouTube page, um, Grace Life Edmonton YouTube, and and so you can go there as well. And, and our sermons in video format are available there. And that would basically uh, cover... Uh, our preaching ministry. Wonderful. Um, so part of the format of the of this podcast, uh, uh, Pastor, is for you to uh, share with uh, with the audience um, uh, a, a book or two or, or, or someplace where they can go to find um, a meet some some meaningful uh, information that they yeah. can use in their daily lives. Would you like to share with us a couple of uh, suggestions where people can go uh, to, to, let's say, pursue this, their own journey of faith? One, I think that would be beneficial as far as um, just helping you to understand more fully what's happening in society 
is the rise and triumph of the modern self. So the rise and triumph of the modern self by Carl Truman. That's really helpful because it, it basically unpacks how we've gotten to where we've gotten reaching all the way back. I think, as I recall to like the sixties and what was going on at that point in time, it may even go back further than that. And it, it begins to unpack just how we got here ideologically um, you know, the, the thinking that has shaped society. So that would be an excellent uh, place to go uh, for some helpful reading on that front with a bit of a historical uh, note to it. And then as far as, um, you know, a book that might be really beneficial to, um, to just shape one's understanding of the word of God, I'm just sort of looking at my, my, um, my bookshelf now as I try and pick just one other. I think uh, Practical Religion by J.C. Ryle would be a good book to pick up and uh, and to read. I think that can be really helpful in terms of fleshing out the Christian life and how it's to look um, lived out uh, this side of heaven. Thanks, Pastor. Um, I'm going to add one of mine. I'm going to show a bit of bias for Lutherans here. Uh, there's a book called Here I Stand by Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King. Uh, Martin Luther was the, the German, uh, let's say, one of the original uh, Protestant reformers. Uh, here I stand, and I mentioned that book because um, I think um, your story is reminiscent of, of what he went through. Um, oh, because really, in a real sense, Martin Luther was not only trying to reform his own church, but at that time, the, the, the church really was the state. Um, and so he, he was he really he was a reformer in the same sense that, uh, that I think you're trying to be and trying to do it through faith. And so I think uh, uh, and he went through some very, very difficult uh, times where uh, he was, uh, you know, he risked being branded a heretic and, and uh, burned at the stake. And of course, the book of Daniel, uh, which is always good reading. Pastor Coates, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a really illuminating discussion. Uh, God bless. Thanks very much. Likewise. Well, thanks so much. Thank you.